Welcome to Box Two with FP Wellman. I am your host, FP Wellman. It's great to be here with you guys. We're calling, coming to you from the wintry suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. I was on vacation last week in Portugal, and now I'm back here. It's great. <laughs> it's great to be back. Uh, you know, things in D.C. have been a little quiet, actually. Well, you know, that's a relative term, I guess. I always start the week off saying things are crazy. They're still fucking crazy, but they're quietly crazy. So they're doing votes. It's a pretty exciting time for them. Uh, they're fig- still figuring out the back room, new room for who's going to be committee chairs and who's going to be on committees and everything else. It's, uh, you know, always crazy. But, you know, it's uh, it seems like everybody's taking home classified documents these days. So that's great. I have some of those. <laughs> Found some like the trunk of my car. I don't know why. They're just there. <laughs> I guess I should uh, run for office. <laughs> We're already being on, inundated with a candidate announcement. Uh, the, the the maneuvering for 2024 has already begun. Uh, Adam Schiff is blowing up my inbox the last 24 hours announcing he's running for uh, Senate. Uh, and somebody told me should send 30 emails. It's great. I love it. <laughs> but it seems like a great time for us to talk about the next generation of voters. You know, they're growing in size, they're growing in power. Uh, they matter more and more, especially to our Democratic coalition. So I've just been trying to get this guy on for a while. So we've got a great show with a great guest going to get us in the right direction on, on what we should expect from our Gen Z, uh, our friends and our neighbors and, and our kids, for God's sake. So let's just get the show rolling. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. As I mentioned previously, I am Fred Wellman. This is On the Mox with FP Wellman. You're in the right place, in the right place. Hey, by the way, if you're getting this show, somebody making you pay for it, that's a fake version of the show. This show is locally grown and organic. It's free everywhere. <laughs> so if you're not getting it free, you're wrong. And if you're not getting, if you're paying for it, you should send me the money. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> this is uh, the locally grown, fully organic show uh, on the Mox with FP Wellman. You know, we, we're coming at you from beautiful St. Louis, as I mentioned. We have such a great guest this, this week. I, I, I've been trying to sneak him in between everything else. He's got a busier schedule, busier schedule than me. I don't know how he does it. He's five times younger than I am, yet he does better. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to the show, my friend Santiago. For those who don't know him, Santiago Mayer is the founder and executive director of Voters of Tomorrow. I uh, dove into politics in high school, for God's sake, shortly after moving from Mexico, and uh, he hasn't slowed down at all since. Participated in several campaigns, volunteering for uh, the Biden-Harris uh, campaign in the early days. During the 2020 election cycle, Santiago and voters of tomorrow launched their first major initiative, Prom at the Polls, which is kind of cool. Campaign registered thousands of voters, reached tens of millions of people through a series of organic social media trends and digitally organized events, which energized a lot of young voters, which is the key. As I was working then at the Lincoln Project, and I think that's how we came across for the first time with Santiago when I was working at the Lincoln Project. Uh, since then, they've done a million things. They, uh, they of course, the these days, Voters Tomorrow carries out research, develops initiatives, encourages Gen Z to vote for pro-democracy candidates nationwide, which we appreciate. Aside from what is a full-time job for most people, including me, <laughs> he's also pursuing a dual degree in mechanical engineering and political science at California State University in Long Beach, which I don't know how you do it, brother. I really don't. So here he is clearly more capable than I am, and, and uh, even at my age, <laughs> no matter, what are you now, 21, brother? I'm, I'm 21, yeah. 21. I do have to correct something, though. I did okay. drop out of engineering. I did drop oh, out Oh, you got to update your website, man. That is messed I up. Have, what a, you're, you're lazy. You only have one degree. 
<laughs> well, nonetheless, we appreciate you, even though you've gotten lazy and you're younger. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You know, I've been hoping to get you on the show for a while, brother. Uh, I, I should mention up front, I am an advisor to Voters of Tomorrow. I'm not a very good advisor to Voters of Tomorrow, but I'm technically an advisor. <laughs> nonetheless, I, I get to claim it on my LinkedIn bio. It's about the only thing I'm good for these days. But man, I, I tell you, you know, I, as I mentioned at the top, Santiago, you, you know, you're all 21 years old, but you've had quite a journey in your life, you know, and in politics. So I always start the show off. I think I warned you. Uh, I, I, I get every guest to tell me, you know, what's your journey? I mean, your journey, although relatively short, has been a very unique journey. You're, you're an immigrant to the United States. You jumped into politics in high school. Tell me how you got here today, my friend. Yeah, do we want the actual version or like yeah. the George Santos oh, uh, no. five? Yeah, yeah. Santos. well, whatever. Yeah. It is. It is the twenty twenty three. You can you can just make shit up. You know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I I don't, I don't like to put my gold medals on the desk. For example, you know, that's a good so, example. <laughs> actually, my my mom died in nine eleven, and I was the first person on the moon. So. <laughs> uh, sad, I'm also but amazing. Congressman for New York third district. So you do look a little but, like him. I don't want to say. <laughs> I don't. It's kind of weird, you know. Anyway, I've never seen you both in the same room either, so figure that shit out. Who knows? You will have to wonder, but no, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, I I'm originally from Mexico City. I moved to the U.S. in 2017 in the middle of the Trump administration, awesome. and in Mexico, I I was. I was a model UN kid, uh, so whether you think that's a good or bad thing is up for debate. Uh, but I was a model UN kid. I was always very into international relationships right. and global politics. And once I moved to the U.S., uh, it was during the in the midst of the Muslim ban, and it was something that was deeply uh, affecting the way that the U.S. was behaving with other countries. It was something that I was very personally interested in. And I, I was trying to talk about it with people in my class, with my classmates, with my teachers, with my friends. And I realized that especially young people either didn't know that it was happening or didn't have the resources to talk about it. And this was not just about the Muslim man, but about politics in general. Right. So uh started ranting on Twitter because that's what people do. And uh, you know for me. one reason. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it worked. Uh, for one reason or another, my what I was saying kind of struck an audience. I, I started building a following. And as we were getting closer to 2020 uh, and our opportunity to really kick Donald Trump out of office, I, I I knew that young people would be incredibly important and a huge part of the coalition. We had seen that in 2018 and we needed to recapture that energy. I didn't see that any anyone really was trying to talk to young people, ask young people. There, there was no coordinated effort to tell them that their youthfulness was an important piece of why they should be civically engaged. Yeah. And I decided that I could tap into my audience and sort of help solve the problem that led me to get an audience in the first place. And Voters of Tomorrow was born. Uh, we we did prominent polls in 2020. Uh, our proms got canceled. That was class of 2020 high school senior. Uh, we decided to capture that energy and get people to dress up to ask others out and from polls and go vote. Uh, that was fantastic. We obviously Joe Biden got elected. And we had the single highest ever youth voter turnout. And as we were heading into 2022, we decided to do that again. We held the first youth leadership summit. Uh, reached a, millions of young voters across the country and managed to get the second highest mid 
turnout, youth turnout for midterm. So been been a bit busy, but very, very happy with what we've gotten and very much looking forward with what we will continue to get. I love it. And and with that, you know, with all that in mind, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, for those of us who are working campaigns for the midterms, you know, we saw an absolute flood of the hard work by young activists like yourself. You and I talked during the campaign, as a matter of fact, you know, turning out the Gen Z vote. And 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 we talked to her a lot, and we will later a lot more. But like, you know, like let's start at the top as a leader of this you know organization, this generation of young voters. You know, tell us tell us a little bit what defines the motivations and thinking of a young voter. You, know, you you've been talking to these, you know, you've been involved in these politics for a while. It's for, but as I think about a Gen Z voter, you know, what's what's driving their thinking? What's what's the motivation behind you and your peers? And 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 when you talk to folks, what is turning them on? What's getting them out there? Yeah, listen, so there's like two sides of this, and I, I tend to go down the more academia side to kind of set the stage. And my friend John DeLaval has a very interesting analysis on what defines Gen Z. And I, there you go, That's there's the book. And I've, I've talked about this with him, and I really do think that he hits an L in the head. Because unlike many other generations who throughout their lives have seen moments of unity across the world, whether that's a man landing on the moon, whether that's a fall of the Berlin Wall, Generation C has never had that. Our entire lives have really been defined by crisis after crisis after crisis. We were born to 9-11. We grew up through the Great Recession. We graduated high school into a pandemic. And we have grown up through active shooter drills and always scared whenever there's a pop in our schools. And all throughout of that, we've never had that come together moment. It's in fact been the complete opposite. We've seen society further divide itself. And I think as a generation, what we are really looking for and what really defines art, and this is kind of leaving the academia side behind and moving more towards talking to people. I think what we've really noticed is that Gen Z really just wants normalcy. We, we, we're tired of chaos. We're tired of disruption. We're tired of not having the same opportunities that our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents had. And we're tired of seeing a world that is throwing democracy aside in favor of chaos and authoritarianism. We just want to live normal lives in a healthy society that with a government that will help us accomplish our dreams. Makes sense. And it's funny. We had John on the show, I want to say two months ago, right? It was, uh, I think right after the midterm and, and, and I've known, I don't know if you know, I've known John for over 20 years uh, or so. Um, close to 20 years, uh, meeting at Harvard back in the day. So yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's, it's, so it is a different kind of generation. You have seen nothing but, you know, a, a, a hell, a nation at war for most of your lives, uh, a war I participated in several times. And, and of course I'm a parent of a couple of Gen Zers myself <laughs> and I know, and, and from that perspective too, I think your generation has a different mindset of, of, of equality. I think one of the lovely, one of the really interesting things that John said during our interview on the show was how, um, you guys have a very different sense of self as far as as a group, for example, you feel the injustices of your peers much more. One of the things he found in his most recent poll, I believe he was telling us at the time was that, you know, when, when I think he asked, uh, and you may have been a part of it, actually, my friend is, is, you know, when you go to the voting booth, who are you thinking of? And unlike most generations, myself or my money or my budget, Gen Zers tend to say, you know, my grandmother who didn't, you know, who lost her rights or my sister who can't get an abortion now. It's, it's a different, have you seen that in your work and, and just in your life that your, your generation has a different mindset of what is community? It seems like. 
Yeah, I mean, in fact, when we were doing research on what was driving Gen Z to the polls, one of the things that we found, and I think uh, John asked a very similar question at Harvard poll, is whether people themselves felt that they were under attack and whether they felt that their peers were under attack. Right. And even though many people didn't feel that they were personally under attack, the vast majority of people agreed that their friends and peers were under attack. Right. And that was motivating people to go vote to protect their friends and peers, their LGBTQ plus friends, their uh, women friends who now can't get an abortion, their educator friends who are being harassed by fascist governors for teaching history. We all largely understand that we live in a society right. and that what affects one of us will end up affecting all of us. And that suppressing one community is just starting down a slippery slope that will end up with all of us or all of us losing our rights. And we all understand, I mean, as a uh, Gen Z is the most out generation out there. We are, we know people in the LGBTQ plus community. We have friends, we have siblings. Many of us are in that sound the wrong. I'm I'm not in the community, but many of us are right. right? And, That has led us to have an understanding of how normal it is. It is, it is, it is just a fact of life. If I have a gay friend, they're, they're my gay friend. They, they, they're still my friend. Right. We still talk. They're a normal fucking person. And when you have Ron DeSantis demonizing them for grooming children or whatever the fuck he's talking about now. Yep. We understand that that is not the case because these these are people that we know. This is the world that we love in. Right. We know we know that is not the case, and we can call out his lies. And that has really led to a sense of unity, where we see all of these people literally just spelling the lies and mistruths and attacking our communities when we know that we're we're all just seeking again a normal decent, rational life. And I think, do you think that your generation, we, we talk a lot about how your generation grew up on social media. It's, it's, it's inherent to your lives. You know, I, I didn't have an internet when I was a kid, right? So what I've also been struck by is the, what you said something about your community. The, when I talk to young voters like yourself or Generation Z members, like what, what, how you define your community is very different. For me, it was Kirkwood, Missouri, not far from where we're sitting right now in the studio. Is where people say, where did you grow? Well, Kirkwood. And, and, I, and, and that defines a lot of who I am. But I have found with my Gen Z, my own kids and, and the people I work with in Gen Z, it's like, because you're much more wired, your, your worldview is much bigger, right? And so your community is a kid in Florida. And, I, and this struck me, I'll tell you a funny story. This struck me with your generation as a young parent well i wasn't that young but we'll go with it <laughs> and my my honorary gen z there you friend. go yeah, uh, i'm gen x although my girlfriend accused me of being a boomer but who's she to say i am <laughs> actually gen x um nonetheless uh so it was interesting the, the reason i say this and it struck me very hard and i use this i don't think i've ever told this story probably a bit so my young son um my youngest son who's now 25 um he was a little bit you know he was a little bit shy if you will and, and didn't have he was very quiet uh, and then at some point, maybe 10 years old, eight, 10 years old, he was really coming out of his shell. He's really being a lot more out and, and just bigger. And I remember being going by his room one day, he's yelling and laugh, laughing his ass off one day. I'm like, what is going on? I, this is not my son. And I go in his room and he's on Xbox. 
and he's playing Xbox and he's on one of the games. And, and I said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm laughing at my friend. Of course, my parent, you know, who is this person talking about kid and, and no shit Santiago. This is a kid in Germany. Uh, my son's best friend at that point, that moment in his life was a kid in Germany who they played video games together. And so his sense of community was different than my sense of community. You know, I, uh, the idea of a kid from Kirkwood, Missouri in 1975, about the same age as he was having a friend in Germany, <laughs> you know, it was not a thing. Right. And it just seems like with your generation and, and not to dismiss like the gaming community and, and the, and the social media community and just the way your lives have been grown, it feels like with a larger sense of community and therefore you define it differently. Is that, is that accurate? You think? No, I, I think I think you described it perfectly because at the end of the day, like I said, I think the one thing that Gen Z recognizes that many generations in the past have missed, not by any fault of their own, but just right. by lack of access, is that there is a global society that affects us, right? And that when women are protesting for their rights in Iran, that is not disconnected from the struggle for human rights in the United States. Yeah. It is it is several different fronts in the same war. Yeah. And as a gener- as a generation that is interconnected across the world, we all see what is happening across the world. We see what the struggles are and we all feel the pain of those suffering through them and have the sense of need to support that fight, whether that's again Iran or whether that's Florida. I mean I and and this is in large part because of my work, but I have met so many fantastic LGBTQ plus activists in Florida who I I really wouldn't have met were it not through social media. But they are just phenomenal human beings that are actively waging war against well not a, yeah actively waging war against the fascism of ron DeSantis, who is coming after them and they literally and i i cannot emphasize enough they literally just want to read fucking books that's it right they do not want anything else they want to have a full education the same way their parents did the same way their grandparents did the same way fucking ron DeSantis did right they just want a normal education and it's that's that's just fascinating. And I think that's that's for me is, and I think it goes to the foundations. And and even knowing a guy like me who's in his fifties, uh, has has is grounded digitally. I'm very on, you know me. You you talk to me enough. I'm very online <laughs> to the point of being ridiculous for a guy my age. We're, but, we're both chronically online. Chronically buddy. online. I know. You know. I, 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 like hey, you DM me at ten o'clock. You're up. Yeah. You know I'm up. So <laughs> you know. But having said that, it's the foundations, right? I was literally having a conversation before I came here about a new a website for my new organization that I'm building, right? And it's funny, you talk about the foundation. If you have to build the foundation right, and it grows from there. My foundation was an analog foundation. I, I'm, I'm 57 years old. I had a dial-up phone in my parents' kitchen with a really super long cord. <laughs> that made it mobile. I could walk to the closet, <laughs> you know? And, and But so no matter how much I am online now, and I've grown as a digital human being and understand a larger community, I was just in Portugal, for God's sake. Nonetheless, my foundation as a, as my foundation of an education society was an analog one. Whereas you, your, your foundation as, as, as a generation, especially is a digital and, and a global one. And I think that makes a big difference for you guys. And it, I do think that shows in your politics and, and you're, you're right. And I do think people make the mistake. And with that turn, you know, a lot of us political 
you know, you know, I'm a campaigners, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, politics, if people don't understand politics, you have like policy people and you have activists, then you have campaigners and I'm a campaigner, <laughs> you know, you know, you run elections and it's fun. And so, but for the campaigners for elections, you know, we did talk a lot about, and you and I talked before the election about turnout with, uh, for the, the Gen Z, we've seen some rewriting of history, I think, since, since the election, the midterm, right? John Delvo will be talking to me about it. Um, it does seem we had a great turn and the momentum is building, but where's the truth and, and how does 2022's turn out? You, you talk about compared to 2020, is there good news there? Was it different than we thought? You've had a few months now to kind of look at the turnout models. Um, did it work? It, where didn't it work? I mean, there's a lot of questions in one question, but so tell me about this turnout, these, these what's five months ago now. Are you satisfied yeah. with the turnout? Is it going so, the direction you think it is? Yeah, so what we saw is in... In contrast to 2018 and 2020, where we saw national turnout increase, 2022 was very decentralized. It varied a lot by state. Okay. So while we had phenomenal turnout in, say, Michigan, for example, right. and I, I want to underscore Michigan because uh, and if you were following Voters Tomorrow on Election Day, you saw this. Yeah. People stayed until 1 a.m. line up to vote at the University of Michigan. Right. They they were line up. They were not going to fucking leave until they casted that ballot. Yep. And they did that. And it showed because Michigan actually beat their numbers from 2018. Right. But when you contrast that with a state like Florida, there was a complete collapse of turnout. Right. There there was simply no effort to turn out young people. And even though obviously we were in the state at the end of the day, it has to be a team effort. We can't turn people on our own. And while we, we were working on it, we might have been the only ones. Right. So we saw that across multiple States and what that really led to is a not uneven turnout across the country where some states had the best midterm turnout ever. Some states had something really pathetic, uh, similar to 2014 or 2010. Wow. And what we have realized is that we really need to invest in developing a 50-state strategy that involves not only young people, but that really makes it a coalition that has both campaigns themselves talking to young people that has young leaders like voters of tomorrow and our chapters talking to people and meeting them where they are that has issue groups elevating why their issues are important to young people and that we really make an effort to talk to young people i mean i think i i can't remember the stat off the top of my head but i believe almost half of voters under 24 and didn't hear from a political campaign. They, they, they just did it. And when we're heading to a massive election year in 2024, it is incredibly important to make sure that young voters have all the information that they need to vote and also have all the information about why they need to vote. Because you can't just tell someone, hey, go line up until 1 a.m., and stay there and cast a ballot if you're not giving them a reason as to why. And that is an effort that we believe uh, we're equipped to lead, something that we have been working on for the past few years and will continue to work on, and something that we're actively working to find partners with. 
And it sounds to me like it has to come from the candidate too, right? I, I think when the gas you're hearing, what I, I saw myself was it can't just be an outside group. I can't, I can't, I can't outsource my youth work, <laughs> you know, and because, and, and something key I wanted to circle back to too, before we get away from that is the tools of the trade that will reach Gen Z. So you said something really key that 24 and below didn't hear from a campaign. Well, you know how we run campaigns. It's email. I, I mentioned at the top of the, the show that I got, I honest to God, I got eight, I got eight emails in the last 24 hours from Adam Schiff uh, for Senate now. Um, that's probably not the way to reach you guys, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, so do you think there's a, are we missing tools of the trade, if you will, that will reach your generation effectively? Are, are campaigns missing a key tool of their, in their, in their arsenal? It's, it's a mix. And what I will say is, for example, like email is a fantastic tool to reach me, but right. I am obviously not the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I honestly, my, my son and daughter, I can't imagine a scenario where they would even, you know, they, they even look at their emails for God's sake. I, I, I keep sending stuff to email to my 15 year old brother. I don't think I've heard back from him in like two years. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be text, but, right? It's got to yeah. be text. Yeah. So, yeah, there there is a lack in communication. But okay. That is not just because campaigns are focusing on email. What we have seen is that campaigns do go on social media and do make TikToks and do oh, send yeah. out texts, but the way in which they do it <laughs> is flimsy at best, right. condescending at worst. Right. And I think several campaigns have found incredible ways to work around this. I think, I mean, John Fetterman's campaign, for example, had a fantastic yeah apparatus running their social media yeah. and clearly that resonated with young people yeah. and kind of peeking behind the curtain here but how they did that is by actively listening to young people and hiring young people to do right. that any any woo i i met her i met her in dc just recently so yeah perfect. so every campaign that has had successful social media outreach to young people has taken the advice or has directly employed young people to lead their program. Right. And that is important because and I, I, I don't mean this as a dick to anyone, but young people have a very specific way of talking online. And it noticed. is very easy to notice when someone is not young. It's super sus. <laughs> yeah. So that's on the social media front. Yeah. Um, General outreach front, I think one of the things that we have realized at Voters of Tomorrow over the past few years is you have to meet young people where they are offline as well. Okay. And when you talk to people, listening to a, a campus organizer who got shipped from there. If, if you're in Wisconsin, if someone from LA who was organizing your campus, that doesn't mean anything to you. You don't know this person. You don't know what they're doing. They have no relationship to you, your campus, to your community. This is just a random person that suddenly appeared on your campus and is telling you to vote for someone. Right. You have to, you have to engage people by mobilizing the people that around them that they already trust. You have to create, have presences on campuses that are organic to that campus. It has to be led by students who are already there. You have to organize communities by having people from the community. You can't just ship someone and expect that to work out. Yeah. And even when you are a candidate, and I think candidates play a hugely important role in this because no one can speak for themselves better than 
them. Right. They are the best messengers to tell their story in a way that is both simple, but also moving, who can actually go to like the deepest part of your story and pull out something positive. And when you're taking a candidate, for example, to college campus, you need to make sure that the people organizing the event have a good understanding of what the college campus culture is for that specific school. Right. Because if not, you end up with, and I won't name many names here, but you end up with like people just not showing up because right. the event wasn't publicized. You end up with people going to a campus where they did not have a huge base of support and just getting harassed right. while they walk around. Or you end up just talking about things that are like very irrelevant to what the experiences of the students are. Right. You need to make sure that you're hearing what young people are saying and talking to them both in a way that they understand, but also through people that they can relate to. Look, I got bad news for you. That's true about almost any aspect of the campaign, right? I think too often we 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 fail that as as campaigners and and and, and managers and, and candidates too of understanding where I'm going to be. That hey, look, I'm going to uh, I'm going to Catoosa County. Catoosa County's got a huge water issue. Or we were in you know in, in Georgia 14 with my friend Marcus. You know, we had a huge issue in Somerville with floods uh, because of you know shit climate change, right? <laughs> you know, the, the mayor himself, who was, was Republican, state come was like, yeah, look, I'm getting flooded every. We've had ta- we've had hundred year floods every. Think- two years right <laughs> you know you have to yeah i think the best example of this is and again i'm not naming any names here but there was a college campus where students were literally sleeping in their cars because they did not have uh, the financial support to afford tuition while also affording where to live and they were obviously going through a really tough time economically many students did are struggling to find food uh, and the candidate gave a speech about democracy and the importance of protecting democratic values which is obviously a hugely important issue but when you're sleeping in a car figuring out where your next meal is coming from i think you need to hear something more tangible about how this candidate will address your situation rather than something as abstract as democracy. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. And, and it is, and it look in, in defense of these campaigners like myself, especially a congressional campaign, they're small, you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard to organize. And which is why I think I've reached out to you in the past. Say, hey, look, brother, I, I ain't got no people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, you can't afford bringing your, you're doing field organizers. I was very blessed on our campaign, in Georgia, where we had, we did have some pretty good funding. We, we were very blessed with a, a robust small donor, uh, a, a base, but not everybody is. I mean, uh, I, I, um, the numbers I've been reaching for a recent organization I'm organizing right now is staggering how little most congressional campaigns make and they can't afford even to pay a campaign manager, a lot of them. So, um, and so for that note, I mean, when we talk about voters tomorrow, for example, and, and you and I talked a little bit, I think recently about where, where you're going with the organization, how does, how does that, how does it, how does a campaign do that? Should they reach out to an organization like yours or a similar one or to reach out to the campaign? I mean, if I've got not a lot of, you know, I'm looking at my bank accounts and my little congressional campaigns empty, how can I do a better job of leveraging the resources locally and through organizations like yours to, to, to make that connection? I know you and I talked about a certain state that had an off year election and, and your organization actually helped to reach out to the candidate for the governor. And, and, and they basically said, oh, yeah, we love the youth. You know, we love youths. And, and that that candidate lost his race substantially because of low turnout among the youths and among rural voters. So 
I, so, you know, Fred, candidate Fred, campaign manager Fred, how do I how do I do a better job in my candidate with limited money to to activate? So do I call you guys? Do I call your friends and neighbors? What's what's your thinking on that? Yeah. So there's there's a few different steps to this. The first one is everyone has young people in their lives and those young people who are already in your circle and in your community are going to be the single most valuable tool to engage other young people. Yeah. Whether that is by posting on social media about the campaign, whether by organizing their friends, whether that is by talking to people in their school or just telling you, hey, this is what's happening at my college. All those are insanely valuable and something that campaigns should definitely tap on. The other thing I will say is Voters of Tomorrow has a really decent, really massive uh operation across the country within local communities. I mean, we we pride ourselves in having tons of state and local chapters. Yeah. And although we don't really get involved until the general election, one of the big things is if you are a pro-democracy candidate speaking to young to youth issues, reach out to us right. because once we endorse a candidate we're committing we're committed to getting them through the finish line and we have the infrastructure on college campuses of really committed pro-democracy youth organizers yeah. that have been building momentum for really the past few years to make sure that when the time comes that when november hits and there's an election next week they are able to turn out their peers and that is really what we saw with many campaigns in 2022, yeah. I will go back to Michigan. Actually, I'll, I'll go to Georgia. Yeah, we were working in Georgia since the last runoff to make sure that once November came and Senator Warnock was up for re-election, we would be able to have the infrastructure necessary to turn out young people. Right. And his campaign really leaned into it. They did an event with us in Georgia Tech. They were they went around college campuses speaking about things that matter to young people. They really invested in reaching out to young people online. And what we saw is lots of young people turn out to vote for Reverend Warnock. And he not only won his general, but he managed to win his uh, runoff as well, yeah. in large part because he young people were energized to support him and to send him back to the Senate. Yeah. And you really have candidates really need to create that energy and create that momentum across around right. in young people. And and it's got to be it's got to be a conscious choice. It's got to be uh, intentional, right? I think, I think they, yeah. there has to be intention. I think you're right. I think we have seen that too often where it's, it's sort of a, a toss off thing. Oh, by the way, don't forget the Utes. Uh, and, and instead it, what I'm hearing very clear is we have to have an intentional effort to, to engage with uh, the younger voters and, and, and your, and your folks, you know, a topic I touch on a lot too on the show, uh, if you've ever seen it is the perspectives on today's government or politics or societal institutions. And are they failing to meet? Are they failing to meet this moment in this democracy? And I'd love your perspective on that. At, at, at both as you know yourself, you're an immigrant. Let's not forget that uh, to the U.S. But as a young political activist, how, what's your view? Do you think our, our our institutions, being the media, being the government, but even our, our, our even our political parties, are they meeting this moment institutionally to reach someone like you who is new to the United States or is you know a very heavily active as a a, a, a new a new generation uh, voter? I have to say that it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, 
I will I will preface by saying, for example, the White House has been fantastic in their outreach. Good. They have really reached out to me both as an immigrant and as a political operative, and they have really leaned into hearing what I have to say and finding ways to act on it. Yeah. And I think that across Gen C, we have really seen uh, that engagement by the White House. And it's something that our generation has really appreciated because we have seen the White House take action yeah. in things that matter to young people. And unlike previous administrations, they're not treating youth activists and groups as sort of a nuisance. They're really treating us as partners. And I think that is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the media, for example, uh, that we we continue to see this uh, both sides narrative, which is not only harmful, but especially having the perspective of living in Mexico and participating in Mexican politics as well. When a the media establishment really destroys trust in every single party you end up with a situation in which no one can win and which in in which no one wants to win. Yeah. One of the big issues that politics in Mexico are currently going through is the current president sucks. I mean, he's horrible. But he was new and he was fresh right. and he was not from the legacy parties. Right. And because of that, even though he is wrecking the country, you have a very large number of people who are still well, but he's not from these other two parties, so right. let's give him a chance. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, thinking of not, and I, I'm sure people will disagree with me here, in many ways, he really is a similar to Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. he, he ran as a leftist, then he totally defunded Social Security services. He uh, is a demagogue that attacks the media, attacks re-elections, he ran three times when he lost in twenty in two thousand six. He staged a massive protest in uh, the National Mall and yeah. took it over for months. Very similar to the previous guy. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So, but my, my sort of concern with that is that if we continue to push this narrative like, oh, both sides are bad. Oh, you can't trust anyone. Oh, all politicians are out to get you. You will reach this point where we are going to start to see candidates who are not prepared, who are not educated in the functioning of government and who do not have society's best intentions in mind, get into power and have people give them a chance just because they're new or they're fresh right. or they're funny. I mean, I've seen like three George Santos thirst traps on TikTok in the past 24 <laughs> hours. It is, we, we are running into a very dangerous period of time where being different is going to is being taken as a positive when in many cases it really isn't. Hmm. That's a really great answer. I pre that's a great place to stop too. So now having said all that, you are, uh, aren't you getting ready to graduate? So you're getting close to graduation, right? Uh, are you, uh, I know you dropped a I'm in my last semester. Holy shit. Um, so what's next for you? I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're going to see you here soon, my friend. Yeah. Well, 
obviously my big concern right now and my huge uh, the vast majority of my focus is actually not in graduation but in uh special elections uh of your elections in wisconsin virginia new jersey of course like like every college senior's priorities yeah (laughs) so we are we're working to make sure that we can elect a supreme court justice in wisconsin who will stand up for human rights who will defend the right to choose and who will defend democracy by striking down gerrymandered maps that is coming up in april and that is something that we are very focused on uh young people generally do not vote enough your elections right and we want to make this the year that we break that stigma I love it. We are focusing on fighting against Glenn Youngkin's fascism in Virginia. And if you think fucking Ron DeSantis is bad, you have to remember Glenn Youngkin is the one that started this. Glenn Youngkin is the one that started with the critical race theory panic with the book banning. This all started in Virginia. And he is trying to make sure that he has a majority in the legislature that will allow him to enact all these horrible policies. And we are working very hard to make sure that young people turn out and tell him that he will not continue to mess with their education. I love it. Yeah, I'm a big Louise, uh, Miss Louise Lucas uh, fan, the Senate, the president of the Senate. She, she, she's phenomenal. She is just, a, she's a grandma with, uh, she, uh, you don't mess with Louise, man. She is. A, I got one of her blue vests at home. I should wear it on the show. And I, <laughs> I got one. She actually sold vests to kind of drag it. Glenn Young, and I appreciate that. So where can we find voters of tomorrow? How can I support voters of tomorrow? Where can we find you online, my friend? Yeah, so obviously we just ended an election year. Uh, fundraising is tough. Yeah. If you have a few dollars that you're able to chip in to yeah. allow us to continue engaging young people, please go to votersoftomorrow.org. And there is a very prominent donate now button at the very top. <laughs> you're getting good at this, would man. Love, would love to have your support. Uh, besides that, though, we are in every social media at at voters tomorrow you can find us online at voters and we are always very happy to welcome new volunteers you are programs like i said are built in coalitions it is not just young people we need everyone and if you are interested in signing up to volunteer you can also do that on our website too easy i love it well great man well i appreciate you joining the show today and hanging out with me for a little while and uh I love your work and uh, you know where I am if, I, if you need me and uh, everybody, I, I, you know, personal plug for, for Santiago and the, and the group. I'm very proud of voters tomorrow. I, I, I am an enthusiastic supporter. I wish I could do more, even more for them. They've been a huge help in my work and I appreciate that when I've, when I've reached out, uh, they always find a way to help us out. So if you're a political operative, you're a future candidate or, you know, we encourage, we're always looking for candidates to run for us. We always say run everywhere. You need support everywhere. And our Gen Z friends are everywhere. And so there's an opportunity to, to really energize some some great sports. So Santiago, thanks for thanks for being on the show with me, man. Thank you so much for having me. Man, another great interview. I love Santiago. I've I've, I've been, just had the privilege to get to know him the last couple of years and hit, watch his organization grow and, and become better and better. I, I am serious. If you want to get involved, uh, Voters of Tomorrow is a terrific organization to get involved with. Uh, I recommend it highly. As always, I always remind you, you can find me online at at FP Wellman. Uh, my Instagram is FP Wellman official. Lots of pictures. There's a 
a little foster dog we got, or actually my giant foster dog that came in last night, pictures of that. So you'll find all that kind of fun behind the scenes stuff. We urge you, I'd love you to subscribe, actually, if you're, if you're getting this from uh, anywhere. Uh, if you can go up there and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or especially YouTube so we can get us over a thousand and and be the cool kids like we want to be. Uh, all those things, the show is all there. Uh, as always, we usually publish on Thursday afternoons, but uh, we had some glitches in my schedule, and then here we are. So nonetheless, usually Thursday afternoons. Tell your friends about the show. I hope you'll give us a great review as well. Share, you know, like, of course, subscribe. Before you go, I always want to remind you of our friends at, at Vi Media, who are our marketing partners and, and own this beautiful studio that I hang out in every week. Uh, Vi Media is your partner for uh, digital marketing. They're an award-winning firm with a nationwide footprint. You can find them very easily on the internet at vi.media. That's vie.media. As always, check them out. In the meantime, uh, thank you for being a part of this little community we're building here. Thanks for watching the show. And reach out and let me know what you think. If you have questions for guests or feedback on the show or you have a guest I should be talking to, please hit me up on Twitter. As always, at FPWELM. And I, I actually do get my DMs. So don't be shy out there. I, I love to hear from you. With that, have a great week.